2: To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
1: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. Welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. It's time for another Feminist Movie Friday. This is a listener suggestion, and I want to do it because as this comes out, unless something has shifted on our schedule, which is always possible, it is Friday the 13th. I was going to say here in the U.S., but I guess most places. (laughs) 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 Other places also. Maybe
2: the significance (laughs) is more U.S. Hmm. I don't know traditionally if like that's a bad number
1: anywhere else. I'm pretty sure, isn't it? China, they don't have a lot of the elevators don't have 13. Yeah, possibly. And it's kind of like, but if it's the 13th floor, even if it isn't called 13, is it still bad luck? And that's a question for a different podcast. because Yes.
2: <laughs> we need to ask truth hounds.
1: You need to call we do. them. do. <laughs> yes, get them on the phone. <laughs> um, But no, we are talking about Jennifer's Body, which is a movie I actually only recently saw, I think in the past two years, based on your suggestion, Samantha. And I really, really enjoyed it. I think it was for Female Revenge. I can't remember what episode it was specifically, but I watched like Uh, 25 movies. Oh, Female Monsters. That makes sense. It was our Female Monsters episode.
2: So I was really shocked, and we're going to talk more about this in a minute, that it bombed so badly, because I really Mm -hmm. liked it. And yeah, mm-hmm. more, I've had more people be like, oh, that was a dumb movie. I was like, what? Did you watch it? Because it was supposed to be tongue-in-cheek. Like, it's absolutely... Of course, some of the things don't translate well today. You're like, oh, that did not age. Please don't use that word. Please don't use that phrase, whatever. But mm-hmm. like, the actual intent to me made sense. So yeah. I was very... Apparently, I was one up on everybody else and understanding <laughs> the background of, of this movie. Yeah, you know? But yeah, so I was really shocked that it wasn't as good as, well, many people said they didn't like it. And I'm mm-hmm. like,
1: but why? It's hilarious. It's fantastic. Do you remember when you saw it? Did you see it in theaters? or? Um... I
2: didn't see it in theaters. It was much later. Not much later, but it was later. No, it was probably 2009, but I didn't watch it in theaters. Mm-hmm. It must have been like... I watched it on some type of uh, special movie channel because I keep wanting to say <laughs> movie streaming or whatever exists uh-huh. today, which did not exist at that point in time because streaming did not exist. I mm. was Netflix out in two thousand
1: nine. I think it was. It was. If it wasn't, it was at least in that like DVD. For I think so.
2: Yeah, I might have rented. I rented this movie somehow. There you go.
1: There we go. My God, That's we'll that took a long time <laughs> for
2: me to get because I just my mind went to streaming. This is Mm -hmm. how old, like in my mind, it's like, oh yeah, I was that old when I went to Blockbuster. I still have a membership card
1: because there was one in my college town. (laughs) I actually didn't see it. And like I said, until you suggested it recently. But, and we're going to talk about this later. One of the reasons I didn't see it was because the marketing campaign was so bad that I thought, I don't think I thought what a lot of people thought, which was that it was just going to be like Megan Fox getting naked. But I did think it was going to have a lot more like sex and nudity and just kind of be more um, body horror than it is. And there's still some body horror in there, but not right. like what I was thinking. And so I avoided it out of that. And and we did at the time. And we're going to talk about this too. But at the time, there was a real backlash against Megan Fox. Right. And so I don't. I don't remember. I wasn't like, oh, that's going to be so stupid. I just thought, well, that really isn't for me. And it turns out. It was for me. Uh-huh. Aha! That's a part of the whole marketing campaign we're going to get into. And also there is talk of a TV show and or another movie, depending on what source you read. Uh, Megan Fox just spoke out in support of it, which is kind of a big deal because she's pretty quiet about this movie for a while. And this was writer Diablo Cody's original intent. She thought it would be better as like a 10-part uh, series type thing. Apparently, this movie served as a visual inspiration for Olivia Rodrigo's Good For You. Music video, which I will admit I haven't seen, so I cannot say. Me either. Me either. Oh, we're, Everybody's clicked off of us. We're irrelevant now.
2: <laughs> well, yes, we we're absolutely irrelevant. But yeah, let's go ahead and start with the plot. Jennifer's Body is a 2009 horror movie directed by Karen Kusama, written by Diablo Cody and starring Megan Fox as a popular high school student Jennifer who gets possessed by a demon and goes on a killing spree of her male classmates. And Amanda Seyfried as Anita, or Needy, which is really on the nose. Uh, her shy friend who tries to stop her, of course, and we have to pretend like she's not a hot girl. I'm like, why? Just because she's got glasses? She's not hot? Okay, cool. (laughs) And the title comes from a song of the same name by Hole, who was also featured in this soundtrack, and a graphic novel was released alongside the film. By the way, the soundtrack is pretty good, especially if you have nostalgic moments of early (laughs) 2000s.
1: Yeah, and the soundtrack was very specifically chosen based on kind of this indie band thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so let's break down the plot a little bit more and talk about that. The story is told from Anita's point of view, who narrates the movie from solitary confinement, where she is a violent mental patient. And through flashbacks, we learn that even though Anita, Anita, I always want to say Anita, but she's pretty much called needy in everything I mm-hmm. read. Uh, but anyway, friends with Jennifer, they had been friends growing up. From a young age in Devil's Kettle, Minnesota, which is a great name. Anita calls them sandbox friends, but they go on to nickname each other Vagicil and Monistat as in yes. high school. Anita is insecure, something that Jennifer's selfish behavior only worsens. They're very codependent on each other. When they're in high school, Jennifer convinces Anita to come with her to a local spot to see a band named Low Shoulder. And they are very, like, emo, kind of trying okay. for this, like... Panic at the Disco type thing. <laughs> so as they're watching this show, a fire breaks out in the bar and Anita tries and fails to keep Jennifer from going with the band. And actually, I forgot about... Anita overhears the conversation with the band members trying to be like, is she a virgin? Yeah, she's yeah, like, yeah. yes, she absolutely is. <laughs> Leave her alone. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, jerks. Yeah, <laughs> I also love that Chris Pratt pops in as someone who... I forgot who, he was there, Yeah. Korea. <laughs> yeah, he pops up and you're like, what? And then also J.K. Simmons, him playing his yep. roles, hilarious. And Amy Sedaris playing the mom. Like, mm-hmm. this is an obvious tongue-in-cheek movie. If you have those specific characters, you should be aware. <laughs> I guess maybe that to me was like, maybe that's a hindsight thing because we know them better now, but whatever. So later that night, Jennifer shows up at Needy's home, covered in blood, trying to scarf down chicken. But she can't hold the food down and pukes up this black liquid, dark black liquid, apparently has needles in it or something. Jennifer flees into the night after she asks her, are you scared? (laughs) With Needy once again trying to stop her, but failing to do so and scurrying away because she's also scared. (laughs) Jennifer dismisses Needy's concerns the next day at school and seems to be okay. As in fact, glowing. Weirdly enough. However, (laughs) yes, Jennifer lures the captain of the football team out into the woods and disembowels him. It was not pretty. His corpse is later discovered. And of course, all of the animals, I guess, come around for the sacrifice. They're ready. So they come preparing to eat the rest of the leftovers. Ew. Meanwhile, the band Low Shoulder is suddenly basking in praise for their heroism at the fire and preparing to play a charity show at the school's spring formal because, you know, they rescued so many people from that fire, which, if you watch, they did not.
1: Yeah, started in mysterious circumstances, shall we say. <laughs> so time passes and Jennifer starts looking unwell. The glow fades. Yes. <laughs> she goes on a date with a golf boy and kills him. Anita, while having sex with her boyfriend Chip, senses that something is wrong and rushes out, almost hitting a blood-covered Jennifer with her car. Disturbed, needy, drives home only to find Jennifer in her bedroom. Jennifer kisses her and the pair briefly makes out before Jennifer tells Anya that on the night of the fire, Low Shoulder took her into the woods and performed a satanic ritual, using her as a virgin sacrifice to secure fame and fortune for themselves. Thing is, she was not a virgin. And when the band leader, who's played by Adam Brody, murdered her, a demon possessed her body, so it went wrong. Uh, she also reveals that she'd eaten a student presumed dead in the fire that night. On top of that, she claims she doesn't really feel pain and is now nearly... Impossible to kill. Right. I also like that they decided to sing 8675309.
2: I know. And they kill her and they sacrifice yeah.
1: her. It's awful. That scene is actually really disturbing to me. It really
2: is, especially because Megan Fox does a great job in playing petrified victim there. So the town is reeling from the fire and recent deaths, and Needy decides to do some research, deciding that Jennifer is a succubus, meaning she needs to feed on flesh and is at her weakest when she's hungry. Anita shares her findings with boyfriend Chip and begs him not to go to the spring formal, but he doesn't believe her. Surprise, surprise. Desperate, Needy breaks up with him, trying to keep him from going. But of course, it doesn't work. And he goes to the dance in hopes of seeing her. But instead, uh uh-oh, here comes Jennifer, who seduces him into an abandoned pool house, of course, after lying about Colin, the emo goth boy that she killed. And (laughs) Needy finds Jennifer feeding on him because she has a feeling of kissing her boyfriend's lives when Jennifer's kissing him. So there's a little link, and I don't understand it's a this psychic link
1: kind of thing, yeah. it's
2: But okay, and maybe it's just like how close they were growing up or something. There's also mm-hmm. an implication that she's in love with Jennifer, so all of those may come yeah. into play we'll for that. we talk about
1: that later. <laughs>
2: yeah, and then she goes and tries to drown Jennifer, but Jennifer attacks her, only stopped when Chip manages to stab her. Jennifer flees after asking for a tampon because she's bleeding. Did you mm-hmm. get that one? Of course. Uh, leaving needy alone to witness her boyfriend's
1: final breath. Yes. So needy comes to the conclusion that she has to kill Jennifer. She goes to Jennifer's house and attacks her with a box cutter. After a fight, uh, Niti stabs Jennifer in the heart, killing her. And she is discovered over Jennifer's body with the box cutter by Jennifer's mom and is institutionalized. However, thanks to a bite from Jennifer before Jennifer died... Needy has access to some of her supernatural abilities. She uses them to escape and hunts down the band determined to get revenge for what happened to both her and Jennifer. She finds the band and kills them all. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There
2: you go. Yeah, and as we said before, when this movie first came out, it bombed at the box office. Like, the rating was below 40, way below percent, and was not well-received, but it did go on to become a cult classic, and I know it's being revisited by so many articles about how it was wronged, and, you know, how it was dismissed, and how Megan Fox was wrong, which has been a conversation in the last year, and the reason it's bombed is worth talking about because a lot of, again, of Texas is involved in sexualization of Megan Fox and just all dismissing of her in general. And again,
1: one of the main reasons it bombed is because of how it was marketed. Yes, yes. So while both Yabo Cody, who was um, also part of this, is she had just made Juno. Mm-hmm. So she, like all, all these expectations around that. So that was going on. Um, while she and Karen Kusama set out to make a movie about teenage girls for teenage girls, they realized that the movie was being marketed towards a straight male audience. And like, yeah, really sexualized marketing that was fixated on Fox's sex appeal that made it seem more like she was going to be having sex with dudes instead of, you know, killing them. (laughs) The irony of the title and the whole point of the movie was missed, meaning audiences went in expecting something totally different and were disappointed. The marketing team even suggested that Megan Fox host an amateur porn site to promote the movie. When Cody and Kusama complained, they received responses like, well, she's sexy and she'll steal your boyfriend. When asked about this whole thing, Kusama said, in those conversations, I was like, oh, okay, we are seeing either we made a movie that they see completely differently or what's in front of them is something they don't want to see. And at the time it was painful, but now I'm realizing this is evident of the world at large. The marketing team was going for a male audience that the creators had not made the movie for and that they they outright dismissed the wants or even intelligence of the intended young female audience. An audience which the sexist marketing, of course, turned away because, like me, they saw this marketing. Like, oh, this isn't for me, even though it was. Right. (laughs) Reviews dismissed the movie as something to disappoint bored, horny boys or, quote, cheap, trashy, exploitative vehicle for the hot girl from Transformers. That's how Cody described it. Roger Ebert, who gave it an overall favorable review, described it as essentially, quote, Twilight for boys, which is still part of the problem because Twilight, I mean, you're meant to ogle. Right. It's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> There's also this level of
2: weirdness, too. The two are not the same. Like, in yeah, they're not. She hates men, and this vampire loves this girl. Like, it's not mm-hmm. hates men, but she's dismissive of men. Mm. Okay, whatever. So, Again, on top of some really misguided marketing, uh, as we've discussed before, the horror genre has a long history of putting women and especially young women in specific boxes. So like the Madonna whore essentially roles, Jennifer and play up in a very mocking way. But of course, this does not fit those boxes specifically. They they were going outside of that. And horror movies have been and are typically generally aimed towards male audiences. Though there are some amazing women in the mix. Megan Fox herself was seen as a sexual object, which is one of the reasons she was cast. But again, people missed the point. Yes, they were overly stating, look how sexy she is, but also like understating, like she's only sexy because she's going to eat you, essentially. (laughs) So people were very ready to dismiss her and the whole movie altogether. Both Fox and Cody inspired a lot of vitriol online and they've spoken about how eager people seem to be to tear down women who had experienced a quick rise on fame um, and trashing Jennifer's body was a part of that, which is actually not true because Megan Fox had been around. She was 23 yeah. when she filmed this. She started acting at 16, but she was immediately put in as the hot main girl, which has been her stereotyped character. Throughout mm-hmm. her life, which is part of the problem, whatever. And then, again, with uh, Diablo Cody, she had success. Doesn't mean she's not been working at it, people.
1: Yeah, it was the quick, and that is a very heavy quote. People right. just... They just suddenly realize them, essentially. Right, exactly.
2: (laughs) And it goes back to our fears around ambitious women, women who don't fit into gendered boxes, and the limited amount of space. Success and chances are allowed them as a society. And yeah, I think it's really interesting because, yeah, again, Amanda Seyfried is not ugly. (laughs) Yes, she is played down. She doesn't have as much makeup. She doesn't wear the clothes. But I'm like, in what world is she not hot?
1: Yeah, I was, I mean, I guess I shouldn't have been shocked, but a lot of the reviews would be like, basically, they made her look ugly, and now I don't even get to see her boobs. This was an actual review, not like an <laughs> of somebody online, but like a publication wrote this, and I'm like, wow. I just wanted to see boobs. Yeah, there was really no
2: nudity in that entire thing. Sorry, no. bro.
1: <laughs> yeah, and as part of this, I reread the letters some of Michael Bay's uh, of Transformers, in case you didn't know. Uh, some of his regular crew members wrote about Megan Fox that he published on his website. And I don't know her, but that letter was sexist AM. Yeah. That was like, wow. <laughs> right, okay. well, I mean, He was so
2: angry about anything she said, dismissive, and the fact that she couldn't go beyond certain roles. It's so interesting, and this is a whole commentary about that era and sexualization of young famous girls and starlets, essentially. It's that she talks about it today and says, Yeah, I've been through a lot of the hashtag me too stuff and and I've been through some things and and taken back, like she's like i was I was young and immature, and I shouldn't have said things. And I'm like why are you taking the blame because she's still in that mindset. That she is the reason. She is taking on the blame to herself. And she is like, but mine wasn't as bad as so-and-so. That whole narrative, it's really interesting to see someone who you think and have been told is such a snob and is such a standoffish woman and and is so all these things. And then you realize, man, that insecurity is raging. And we know, because we saw the sexist commentary. We saw it. it was in print. And her going, what? Essentially like, okay, fine. I guess that's me type of thing. And playing those parts or being told that she's that's the only parts that she can play, and then still to this day, kind of like, Well, I did this wrong too. And not that that's not a bad thing to take responsibility, but it goes beyond just taking responsibility and excusing the accusers. I'm like, Wow, Megan Fox, who had been an icon for a moment, you know,
1: relegating to that is kind of like, Yeah, it was bad, and it is, still is, obviously. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that more later, but um, like I said. Earlier, she hasn't been... She hasn't talked about this movie a lot until recently. And people have asked because a lot of the reasons that, as you said, Samantha, all these articles... And it wasn't even the 10-year anniversary. It was before that. People were like, wow, you know, Jennifer's body was so ahead of its time and would kill it now and all this stuff. That has sparked all these conversations around Me Too. And to hear Megan Fox talk about it. And when you hear her talk about it, you are like... This is really upsetting because I recognize these things too, but it's like we are dismissing kind of the bigger problem or not blaming the people who should be blamed perhaps or get more of the blame. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. We are going to talk about that. So when asked about the movie's cult status, especially the feminist cult movie status of it during the time of Me Too... And when I was reading through this, it seemed to particularly resonate during the Kavanaugh hearings, especially when Dr. Ford said, like, I, can all, I can't I can forget the laughter. And when uh, in the sacrifice scene in this movie, they're laughing at her as they kill her. A lot of people drew that parallel. Cody said that, for those of us who have been alive, it's like maybe on a zeitgeisty level, it's timely. But it's a tale as old as time. And going on to say, I could have made more movies like Jennifer's Body if people had actually f- gone. For a lot of reasons, this is a real shame. Cody said of the project, to write a kind of feminist horror movie with a vintage vibe was a fantasy for me. And Kusama said, from the outset, I always felt like this is a horror movie about toxic friendships between girls. And on a larger scale, it's about how these alliances between girls get distorted and corrupted by the patriarchy. And that part of the problem with an imbalanced power structure like a patriarchy is that women participate in it. And so it's important to have that conversation there's so many quotes from the both of them I could keep reading, but here's another one. I knew I was making a movie about girls I knew, and I wasn't making them for anyone's sort of voyeuristic pleasure. I was actually wanting people to kind of confront the beauty and the ugliness of girls at this age. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a whole thing. Like I don't know why, but I think,
2: yeah, I know I knew someone like Jennifer in my life, mm-hmm. like not to that extent, but the whole gaslighting of you know, oh, you're not as pretty as this, but you're doing right. great, or you're so cute, but you know, if you did this type of yeah. thing, I uh, definitely had that level. Quickly got rid of them before I think high school I was like I'm not about that life. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know those people, so it's like wow. But then mm-hmm. the build up of this is not about her; it's about. Her trying to make it in a world that is really, really misogynistic.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Again, part of the movie. Loved it. <laughs> a lot of the New York takes have said essentially this movie was ahead of its time. I guess me too. I'm ahead of my time. Who knew? <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the words of Kusama, the movie hasn't changed. Uh, they made the movie they wanted to, which means audiences and perceptions have changed as well. About time. About time. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, there are so many themes to go over uh, when it comes to this movie. People, y'all, have written so, so, so much about it. But perhaps the most obvious one comes from, like, the title alone, Jennifer's Body, Objectification of Women, Sexualization of Women. So when you think about Jennifer and Megan Fox, like, to me, it does really work on, like, because we know what happened to her and kind of how she was cast. And then you have her playing this role as just by this band in particular but by a lot of like dudes in the movie just an object to be thrown away, to be used and that when she this possession happens when the the sacrifice goes wrong, she does become just this like body that a demon is using. Right. Like how people mainly see her and I thought that was a really interesting way to turn that kind of conversation because as we've said, horror movies are a great reflection for what we are afraid of. And I mean, on this show, you've heard us time and time again afraid of women's sexuality, especially young women's sexuality. But ultimately, who is the one who's doing the damage? It's usually the men who are attacking or raping or using this person. And so when you flip it, when you actually make her the like dangerous body and not like the object <laughs> And she's disemboweling men. It's just an interesting way to kind of flip that and think about the way we talk about how young women are so dangerous and how men can't resist them and how it's their fault. Well, what if she actually was something dangerous that could attack and kill you for objectifying her? (laughs) Yeah. And so I I like thinking about it too, of like her body getting revenge. It's never specific. I know we talked about it in the, the succubus episode. Succubus, succubi do usually attack men, but it never really specifies that she is one of those. But she clearly, because right. there, there are times when she's like fighting back, biting needy, but she clearly goes after men, and particularly men who are either interested in her or needy. Which is, yes, we will talk about that a bit later. Right. And kind of this, uh, you know, if you want to read it that way, like the patriarchy at whole, the people who just saw her as an object and who were just gonna throw her away. Those are the people. She's gonna eat.
2: <laughs> Except for Ahmed. Poor Ahmed. He was just yeah. in the wrong place, wrong time.
1: Yeah, yeah. He was uh, the person that died first, that she killed first. Right. Everybody. <laughs> Which, by the way, <laughs> if you haven't it. seen this, go watch it. It's on New Village. Oh, it's fun. I mean, uh, it's violent, but it's fun. Yes. Yeah. And and I think this the scene that we were talking about, the virgin sacrifice scene, that scene is really upsetting. And it kind of comes. Later on in the movie, like you know something happened and you know something went wrong. And it is painted in a way where you're supposed to think perhaps it was a sexual assault. But you don't know until later. But I mean, even like the violent parts until then is pretty campy. But that part is, to me, very upsetting. And it does have this whole vibe of like this band is these band members. All dudes are content for using this young woman's pain and body for their success. And throughout the movie, it's kind of a trigger uh, of this song that keeps playing. And the song is like about stalking a woman. It's like <laughs> kind of, oh yeah, we've all heard songs like this. And then you find out well, that right. all of the guys behind that are actually creeps. Wait, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. So that just how callously they they killed her and they laughed and they sang during it, just so they could become like an indie, a big indie band. And Megan Fox said of this sacrifice scene For me, that scene represented my relationship with the movie studios at the time and the studio executives and directors and just Hollywood in general. Because on an almost daily basis, I felt like I was being sacrificed for their gain and almost no concern for my physical well being. Mental or emotional well-being. That never is a question when you're a woman in Hollywood. Whatever they need to do to me or put me through, they were going to do it as long as I got them what they needed. So in that moment, I think it was a very visceral, very powerful, almost cathartic experience because I was able to let out everything that I was trying to keep in and not be vulnerable and play tough and fight it. I could just surrender to it and cry and wilt and it was okay.
2: Yeah, and she, again, we talked about this just a minute ago. She also said she hasn't shared some Me Too experiences because she feels like she isn't a, quote, sympathetic victim. And it's okay because we're feminists, but am I accepted by feminists? Because I never felt like I was. I was the one woman where it was okay to be feminist and be like, yeah, but not her. She's stupid and she's selfish and she's a dumb and we don't like her. She deserves that because she said this or did this. And yeah, I think that's, she's not wrong. I think for the longest time, people have made her such a villain Mm -hmm. in that network, in that whole industry. And we've seen that time and time again between Britney Spears, how we sexualize women and penalize women for being sexual. And especially if they're loud about it, and especially if they're very attractive on top of that. And then you think, oh, and because they're sexualized, they are more successful than some. And because they're more successful, they're like, this is not, they didn't earn that. It's such a whole level. And then going through any type of mistreatment like that, they think it's earned, which is such a gross, gross narrative.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things that that she touches on in just like that quote that I feel like is in this movie Mm -hmm. where you have this patriarchal system that we're all participating in on some level and it's turning women against women instead of against men. So... I think a lot of us have experienced that jealousy, at the very least, of someone we see is very beautiful and they're getting all of their... Well, we feel like they're getting more opportunities because they are very beautiful and that's what our society values in women. And we get angry at that because we don't feel like we can compete or that they're like playing along, but it's not ultimately their fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is the truth. That right now, that is a lot of the way it's been easiest for women to get ahead as if you played on your beauty. And I think what we're really mad at is the lack of control around that and the system that we feel like is punishing us and that we can't control. But that's in this movie too. And then also the whole sympathetic victim thing, um, which we've talked about, That that is also at play where you, as they're killing her... Um, there are all these other questions of like, well, she was wearing this, and then she was drinking this and doing all this. And you're like, but it doesn't matter. Like, right. I still killed this person. Right. But we hear those things in our real world all the time. Constantly. But yes, yes, uh, sexualization is a big part of this movie. I do feel like unfortunately a lot of people misinterpreted it when it first came out. But yeah, the kind of punishment for what she was wearing and how she looked... And going back to that idea of like, if if we are so scared of of women's sexuality, why not weaponize it as a woman and use it for revenge if you get possessed by a demon? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs>
2: it'd
1: be hard not to.
2: <laughs> My only thing is she never goes after the band. I know. I think right. they <sighs> saved it. I think yes. they saved it for yes. her for for needy.
1: But I still was like, but I want her to go. Yeah. Me too. And I think that was actually one of the points, though, is that I could be totally wrong about this, but I felt like they were saying, you know, she's just attacking everybody. Every man. She's mad at this. like, It doesn't matter. Anybody who's objectified her um, or I think getting in the way of her and Needy, however you read their relationship. Whereas Needy was like, no, I'm going after this band. So people kind of compared it to like, it feels wrong to say hero, perhaps, but right. like she's the, she kind of was being more focused on who did wrong and punishing wrong the right. like actual people at the bottom of this as opposed to Jennifer because I mean you know that's a I mean we're getting into big conversations for this movie but you, these dudes she killed may not have specifically participated like misogyny and patriarchy hurts everybody I guess is what I'm trying to say right.
2: Well, I mean, it could be, I guess, where they if we're talking about the fact that women want to blame each other, so she's going after needy and, and things around needy, and so mm-hmm. she's kind of purposely punishing needy, blaming mm-hmm. her for her not liking who she is, essentially, in her mind. Like You're not accepting me because I told you the truth, and now you're doing this, so I'm going to gaslight you and then mm-hmm. turn everyone against you instead of focusing on who really, again, as a society, right. who are we really supposed yeah. to be mad at? Yeah. But still, I wanted her to go eat one of them.
1: I know. I I, I've only seen it twice, and I it had been a minute since I'd seen it when I was researching for this, and I kept it. I couldn't remember. I was like, I thought, why is she not going for the band? (laughs) God, get (laughs) the band, (laughs) right? I mean, yeah, I really wanted her to. He was right. They were right there. They were right there. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of the themes in here too are like, yeah, the trauma and violence that a lot of people, but especially women or other marginalized groups are familiar with. So like when you do learn what happens to Jennifer, she has the memory where she like asks the band members if they're rapists. And she's a really big fan. Like she's a really big fan of them and she's trying to like get, get a touch from them or like attention from them. And then they just brutalize her specifically because she is a woman and specifically because she is a woman they think is a virgin. Right. And yeah, for most of the movie, we are meant to think that a sexual assault happened. And as I said, uh, a lot of people have written about like how the band is laughing as, they, as Jennifer like pleads with them for mercy before they kill her. From Constance Grady's article about over at Vox about the movie, Jennifer's pain is funny to these men. For them, it's a lark. But for her, it's a moment of trauma that is going to change her forever. And I think a lot of trauma, people who have gone through trauma can relate to that. And that was something I remember struggling with for a long time where I couldn't decide if it would hurt more if somebody who had traumatized me like didn't remember or it wasn't a big deal to them or if it was. Right. And like just that question can really hang on you. And yeah, the band profits from her pain. And until the end, they get off without any consequences. In fact, they're loved and praised as heroes in the community and for something pretty ridiculous as well. Yeah. I mean right. to sacrifice somebody for indie band fame. I don't want to dismiss anybody who's made it as an indie band, but it does seem like really mad. <laughs> you couldn't succeed any other way you had to kill this person. <laughs> like, they said they couldn't. They literally were like, there was only two
2: ways and neither one of yeah. them was going to be like the way because it's past that prime because everybody was right. in the band. The idea that, that you can easily find one, just like smack someone just by going down the street and you buy an indie van. Like how many mm. women, how many young girls were like, I'm dating a dude from the band. Like it's yeah, inevitable. Definitely dating a dude from an emo band right here. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> Yeah, I did. He wrote a song about me.
1: (gasps) Was it good? Ish. Ish, no. Okay. But it wasn't mean about you.
2: Another emo band wrote a song about the fact of how he broke up with me.
1: Oh, whoa. You gotta, gotta, I gotta hear these songs. Oh, it's bad. So one of the
2: songs, it wasn't necessarily about me, but he took a line I said to him and put it in there. And I was like, what the hell?
1: Oh, (laughs) no.
2: Just saying.
1: I gotta hear these.
2: Just saying. So, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's another... I think that's a commentary. But that's supposed to be like the yeah. tongue-in-cheek, like yeah. almost a uh, parody of this level of what the girls or what teenage girls wanted at that point
1: in time. That's true, yeah. <sighs> well, and that, that's interesting too of what you said about like being past the prime because that's something we've talked about with women in this industry as well. Is like, but you're 30, then it's too late. Like you're, right. you're aged out. Whereas they were like, well, maybe we just have to kill a young woman or use her pain and then we can be successful because she's completely disposable. Right.
0: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
1: This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking.
2: From Frederick Bilkert at Vice, he writes, Jennifer's body is similarly saying something quite a bit more profound than high school is hell or hell is a teenage girl in the words of needy, which is there's no perfect victims and that doesn't matter. A popular mean girl in a blackwater town, virginal or not, drunk or not, dressed suggestively or not, shouldn't be
1: abducted and assaulted. True story. Yep. Yep. And then, yeah, many people talked about Just something we kind of talked about with uh, the patriarchal distress stress disorder recently and also uh, collective trauma. People have said, like, maybe we can even look at the trauma of the patriarchy turning women against each other and feeling all of that as a part of this movie. Uh, A lot of people have said it's like a revenge fantasy or a rape revenge movie in disguise. Like, it's got a very similar kind of setup, but it's made by women, so it's much less sexualized um, than those movies are in terms of those like very traumatic scenes which I thought was interesting and then we've also talked about virginity lately and and the whole messed up history of prizing that and women and yeah so, so the band members are openly speculating whether Jennifer is a virgin and it turns out her sexual experience kind of saves her as opposed to being the source of her punishment and death like in most horror movies where it's the virginity or being the virginal and that means you'll survive and this one, she survived, even though she did become a demon, because it turns I was gonna say, out... She
2: became a demon, so I feel like that's a commentary of like, oh, you're a slut, that means you're pretty much a demon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you're still alive. <laughs> yes, sort of. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was interesting, because I hadn't really thought about it. It is kind of a flip. Again, this whole movie, like you said, is supposed to be tongue-in-cheek. It's very right. aware of the horror movie tropes and it's playing on them. But that is a twist from what we normally see in horror movies, where the final girl is usually the one that has not had any sense. Right, And then, yeah, friendships are, they're a big part of this movie. Um, and toxic and self-destructive friendships especially. I mean, that's, in reading the interviews with the creators, that was what the heart of this movie was, was their, their friendship between Needy and Jennifer. I did, like, catch on to how especially Needy, which, yeah, the name, the nickname is pretty telling of a character, is kind of like constantly trying to stop Jennifer, like kind of constantly trying to protect her or go after her. And Jennifer's kind of always like just beyond reach or whatever, which it felt very much to me like trying to hold on in the face of change to this friendship, and especially like. Needy calls them sandbox friends, like we said earlier, they've been friends from a young age, and trying to hold on to that friendship, even though it's evolving, and maybe you have changed, and maybe you weren't really suited or healthy friends in the first place, and especially not now, and I, I feel like we've talked about that recently, too, of kind of that moment of being like, oh, you know, I've really tried to hold on to this friendship, but... Maybe. Yeah, this is that toxic friendship
2: that we talked about, the abusive friendship that people need to get away from for sure, because there's nothing serving. And she gaslights her constantly to an abusive level um, and guilts her into this abusive level that's like, that's not cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, their friendship is very, very codependent, like I said, because I feel like in a lot of ways, Jennifer keeps Needy around because she's very insecure and Mm -hmm. wants that friend to make you feel better that you can put down or you can gaslight and just sort of use in that way. Like you could say, Oh, please come to me to do this, go see this band. You probably don't want anything to do. I want you to come and do it. And right. you're going to come and do it because I'm cooler than you. Or like having that sort of dynamic. And then, I mean, needy is insecure as well. They're both, very they're very codependent on each other. They need each other for different reasons. And despite their increasingly unhealthy relationship, it is, at least from what we can see, the most important relationship in their lives and at the heart of this movie. And I was thinking, and this might be—I get really deep, as you know—so <laughs> might be not what was really intended. But the whole idea of the succubus of like needing to feed on others to survive, needing to feed on people, and weakest when you haven't. Like that whole idea, kinds of it, kinds of sound like an insecure bullying person, like needing to feed on others to build yourself up and putting others down to make yourselves feel better and in that way, like, who really is the needy one? Mm-hmm. Yes, or that? Yeah, yeah. And then we couldn't not discuss this as, as we've been alluding to. Several people have done write-ups on queer readings of this film um, and apparently the original screenplay included a sex scene between Jennifer and Needy. I didn't get this and I don't, I never verified if this is what was actually intended, but Needy's last name is Lesnecki? Lesnecki. Peop- Lesnicky, And some people are like, it's Needy Les, like, lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: never. Well, they actually say it. Oh, do they? The Asian character, who is always that trope main character or a fangirl in the background, she says, uh, Needy Les, kind of <laughs> implies it. And then you also right needy,
1: right? lesbian, gay. Yeah, lesbian, gay. Mm. Yep. Uh huh. So, this is the kind of thing I could go into in so much depth because people have gone into so much depth, but, but we will not. But I mean, there are a lot of. I can definitely see the queer subtext for sure. Uh, there's a lot of like Jennifer barely keeping herself from eating needy, of killing needy's potential romantic interest, of needy being really protective of Jennifer. Which could be read in multiple ways because I think the first time I saw it, I just assumed it was like jealousy and wanting to keep Needy all to herself.
2: So maybe I think I just kind of bypassed it. Obviously, the kiss was very obvious and she's really like uh, into it, Needy is, more so than Megan. is. like, you can see that Jennifer is using it as a controlling mechanism mm. as where Needy is falling into it because it's kind of like, oh my God, it's happening. And she mm. couldn't resist. But then like the scene where uh, she holds her hand,
1: yeah, And the disappointment
2: when she realizes she's all infatuated with this guy. Yeah. That was very, I don't know. It, it didn't feel like subtext. It felt like text. Like the actual yeah. like, being of, this is where I started losing her. And this is where right. she starts seeing herself for the first time. Because she. this is where she's disconnecting herself from her because she sees this fat infatuation, which is different from her having sex with other guys around town.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and I, I'd forgotten about that as well. But a lot of people did point out the hand-holding scene. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are definitely, like, quotes throughout, like, as Jennifer says, I can go both ways. We can play boyfriend-girlfriend like we used to. The lesbian gay. Jennifer called a needy butch. And kind of going off what you said, Samantha, according to Cody, they kept the kiss in the script because she wanted to make clear that on some level, Needy was in love with Jennifer. Though now she says she probably wouldn't have to include it because audience can pick up on queer subtext without her, quote, dropping an anvil on them. So she did intend for this reading
2: and I will say when it feels like they're queer baiting it's I feel the awkwardness of it all you're like oh god yeah this is just they just threw it in there because they want to be like look two girls kissing but Mm -hmm. as where this one felt like okay that was actually really sexy and passionate what just you know like it felt honest in that so good on the actresses for Mm -hmm. doing that because it felt like I was like oh damn oh oh, damn okay (laughs) yeah
1: yeah it was was, because I didn't know that was in there which I say because apparently that was a huge deal when it first came out. And I remember when I was watching it being surprised, but then like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. I mean, I, I think I don't want to be like everyone, but when I, when I was growing up, I would have those moments of like sexual tension between friends where you're just kind of like, ooh, what is this moment? And what are, what are these feelings? And not really sure what they are. And I think... um, Many have uh, written about how this is um, bi representation. And this is a case of bi representation and uh, Jennifer kind of being bi. And I guess, I, guess I, I never really picked up on, like, you know, when the goth emo kid, she kills him because, well, it seems like she kills him because Needy was like, he's cool, don't be mean to him. Like, okay. And then chip, of course, has gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: gotta go. I know as we've discussed about many times where it's queer baiting. Some mm-hmm. people had problems with this, saying this was exactly what this is. It's like gratuitous, uh, again, for the male gaze, essentially. Right. But if we're looking at this movie as what we're saying tongue-in-cheek parody, they may have done that in that aspect of get over yourself because the yeah. the acting was so good that it didn't feel that way. Right. So it's another, again, slap in the face of like, no, this isn't for you. This is for the women who felt this tension. Yeah. This is for the women that's like, wait, am I having an awakening moment of realizing right. I too am attracted to this woman? Like, that's mm-hmm. what it was for, more so than that. So, but I can absolutely see if it's the context of the way it was marketed, if that's yes. what you know, then yes, it's definitely gratuitous and just over the top, like, oh, come on, this is just cheap uh, entertainment for men to, you know, right do bad things too
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and I think that was so key. And a lot of what like Cody has written about was like, it was women making it, and it was for women. And I also thought the scene was really well acted and I thought it was really powerful because I did buy it. I was like, even if they have a very unhealthy relationship, I buy that they care about each other and on some level love each other. And it does feel like real, um, the emotion there. But Cody said, like, if a man had been doing this, it it wouldn't have worked. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it would have been different. And yeah, when it first came out, because of those, the terrible marketing behind it, people did say that, It was exploitative. It was a huge deal. It was like in write-ups where people were like, oh, it's a gratuitous lesbo makeout session. That's from Salon. I believe it was a woman who wrote that. A cheap attempt to titillate the audience, particularly when it has no real context or reason for being. It doesn't matter if there's a man or woman behind the camera. That's from that same review. So it, it does feel like, I don't know. Maybe people were just primed to misunderstand it for a lot of reasons or or. I don't know if that's the correct way to say it, but going in and expecting something completely different and being so used to horror movies doing that kind of thing. Right. I don't know. Again, that marketing. That oh, marketing killed a lot of
2: that. Yeah. It is bad. I'd, so I know like one of the posters I will, in those articles that they showed as an example of what the marketing team was doing. If I had seen that, I'd, and I'd never seen it until this uh, week when we were researching stuff, I would not have watched it either.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, because it felt like it's going to be some Jennifer having a bunch of sex and being ogled a lot. Right. It's a direct commentary on that. Like it's, Right. <laughs> But yeah, if you haven't seen the poster listeners, it's like I, I think you're talking about where she's sitting at the desk and her legs are like yeah. spread. Yep. And mm. her
2: cleavage is perfectly and she's like partially open mouth. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really bad news. And that is a part of this whole conversation as well. It's kind of like what they were commenting on ended up hurting them, <laughs> hurting them and hurting right. the movie too. I am glad it is getting some of the attention I feel like it deserves and people are really in love with it and writing about it and all this stuff. But it, it is like Cody said, like upsetting because if it had caught on then, other movies could have been made. And right. That is frustrating. So but frustrating. Clearly we're we're fans, highly
2: recommend if you haven't yes. seen it. And as yes. we like to say, fall is coming, meaning it is Halloween season coming soon, yes. so
1: more movies like these, please. Yes. If you have any suggestions for those movies that we should focus on, please email us. You can reach us at StephMediaMomStuff at iHeartMedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at Stuff Podcast or on Instagram at Stuff I'm Never Told You. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. One of the best. Yes. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I'm Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite show.